Hi, I'm here with Rebecca Meinhardt. This is Jenny Rudolph, and we're both at Recess TO, a conference on teamwork, task work, simulation, and in some ways, relational coordination of acute care teams here at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, Canada. I'm an organizational behavior scholar, executive director at the Center for Medical Simulation, and I'm going to be bringing my take from that sort of teamwork and behavioral perspective to this conversation. Rebecca, tell us a little bit about you. So I'm Rebecca Meinhardt, as Jenny said. I am an OB anesthesiologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. I also am the program director for the Obstetric Anesthesia Fellowship there. I'm the OR simulation officer for the MGH Learning Laboratory, which oversees interprofessional simulation activities. And I'm also the course director for the Center for Medical Simulation Anesthesia Crisis Courses, which is just an amazing job. So I'm looking at it from a clinician perspective and also as a researcher who studies teams under stress and how they communicate and coordinate as well. Rebecca and I came to Recess TO together to basically improve courses we design and develop and debrief together and learn what we could about the amazing work that's being done here. So we're going to start out with a session that Rebecca attended today under the rubric of Resuscitation Linguistics led by Carrie White and Vic Brazel. And Carrie White is a leader and manager here at St. Michael's Hospital, respiratory therapist, respiratory flight person. And Vic Brazel is an emergency medicine professor at Bond University in Australia, the simulation lead at Gold Coast University Hospital, and interested in translational simulation and a number of other things that are happening here at Recess TO. Rebecca, resuscitation linguistics? What? (laughs) Tell me a little bit about what was most interesting to you about this session. We'll start out there and then I'll circle around with you later to talk about what you learned about teaching and learning by how Vic and Carrie chose to lead the session. That sounds great. So what struck my attention at first was the way Vic and Carrie opened up the session, which is just that they played a clip of a pulse oximeter declining in tone, meaning the patient was getting increasingly hypoxic. And the visceral reaction that I experienced was really powerful. She stopped there. They stopped the clip there, and they just said to the audience, think about what you would say and share what you would say with the group. And all of this was in the context of the patient had been a couple of attempts to secure the patient's airway had been made, and ultimately there were backup plans that needed to be done. So what came out of participants' mouths was really different. So people had different things for it. To say I would go front of the neck access, meaning use invasive methods to secure the airway, Some people would say, I would use this specific thing. Other people would say that specific thing. Some people would call it a plan D. So there was just a lot of discussion about how that one little little situation branched out into a multitude of ways in which you could communicate this, but where there was a lot of vulnerability was in the diversity of the ways in which things were asked for. So that was really powerful to me, and I thought that was really interesting thinking about how we all get on the same page with the words that we use and how just even choosing what you say, how explicit or how specific you are, can really change the way the team coordinates together to get the job done. 
I was sitting in that same room at the beginning there, Rebecca, though I didn't do the workshop with you, and I heard, crike, trach, plan B, let's prioritize, front of neck access, literally all these different words for what everybody presumed was the exact same move, but what Vic and Carrie then highlighted is one person may be assuming it's going to be a crike, another person might be assuming it's going to be a trach, somebody thinks a trach kit is X, somebody thinks a crike kit is Y. So they took that very apparently concrete thing and showed how there were so many different mental models about it. And therefore, how you clinicians organize yourself as a team is so important. Yes, that's right. So then you and some other people at the conference moved on to the workshop phase of the activities. And when you gave me a little overview earlier, you talked a bit about how there were sort of some cognitive aspects or, you know, simple language and linguistic aspects that Carrie and Vic highlighted, and that there were also some, I'm not sure, emotional, cultural aspects of how we talk to each other also. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the uh, cognitive piece first. The cognitive piece was really just how explicit do you need to be with your team? And so how a lot of the assumptions that we make about what we're saying and what we're wanting uh, if they're not expressed, then people actually don't necessarily get on the same page. Similarly, the can you give an example? The thing that I experienced was I participated in, in the first exercise, which was very engaging. We were told very little instruction. I had the the problem, quote unquote, the problem, and my partner had the solution, and we had to just talk through without seeing each other because we were back to back. We had to talk through how to get the problem solved. What I understood was that even it was, you know, even describing what I was seeing in front of me was different than what he was sometimes describing. So we didn't even have the same words for for certain things. So just the clarifying words about what you want to get done, choosing those words may not always be something that the other person sees along with you. So and this puzzle, if I recall correctly, yes. is actually a geometric problem. Yes, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to spill oh, the beans. In oh, case. I see. Okay. Well, just so that people yeah. know, what are the yes. types of words you were trying to? So it's like what you see as a triangle, he might see as something else, or a parallelogram, yes, or whatever. A rhombus. A, yeah, a parallelogram, a, a, an L shape. So describing these <laughs> shapes uh, was was interesting and funny to try to describe the same things. Yeah. So this geometric challenge. Help me see how that connects to communication in a resuscitation or, you know, fluid resuscitation or, or some, managing someone who's deteriorating quickly from sepsis or whatever. So that's a great pivot because what we often see, especially where I, where I work and the patients that I see, is somebody will say something like, let's give some fluids. But what that means to one person is very different to another person, depending on the context and the background of the people who are speaking. So for me as an anesthesiologist, I'm happy to run fluids in, connect them up, run as much in as, as, as needed by my own clinical judgment. If I'm delegating that task to someone else, uh, I might have to be more explicit to say, uh, I need you to just open up the fluids. I want you to give 500 milliliters in rapidly. Don't put it on a pump. Just watch it go in, and then we'll check. And those kinds of commands are much more specific than in my mind. My mind, in my mind, it's sort of just give fluids, but I have to be deliberate about thinking how does somebody else receive that so that I can help the patient get the care that I feel like he or she needs. 
So one part of the recess linguistics was about the phrase, get the crike kit, which could be very clear to one person, actually might mean something very different to someone else, which is crazy and surprising. The second is, we need fluids, equally could mean run them this way, run them through a pump, this wide of a gauge, all kinds of different things for different people. And we just need to be much more explicit than we imagine. It sounds to me is the takeaway there to some degree. That's what I got. Yes. So shifting gears, let's talk a little bit about the other part of the workshop. And I heard you say that there was some really interesting conversation about the emotional impact of language or how we build teams, how we build relationships, how language can shape culture. And I was very intrigued. Tell me more. Yeah. So this is also some of the lens that I was seeing it through was based on work that I'm doing right now, just trying to understand how different managerial styles in a team, for example, a resuscitation team might impact uh, the team itself and also what those managerial styles or director styles or team leader styles, what they may arise from. The way somebody decides to lead a team really, I think, fundamentally shows his or her beliefs about the team, the team members, their capabilities, their engagement in the work. And so how he or she chooses to share information or give directives really sort of supports that type of belief. So for example, if I believe that my team is pretty novice, and may not have the skills, it may become overloaded or cognitively confused, or maybe it's just they don't have the knowledge or, or the basic skills, they may become flustered. I will be very directive to them, and I won't always be careful to solicit information from them in the course of directing them to care for a patient. Whereas if I see my team members as very capable, they all have different perspectives, I really want their input to have the fuller picture of what's happening with the patient. The words I choose are going to be very different, and they're going to be facilitating not only the information flowing, but actually really supporting the relationships between those people in a much different way than if I were with a novice team. In a novice team, I'm really looking to support them and their identities and their helpfulness in the in the whole process and to get whatever I can out of them. In the expert team, I'm really looking to to celebrate and help bring everything that they have to the patient as supportive of that communication as possible. I'm hearing you say how you as the team leader might interact with the team can obviously impact the teamwork there and might start a bit of a feedback loop. In her presentation about this, Vic Brazel used the phrases, we can have declarations as team leaders, we can have conversations as teams, how those play out are shaped by the beliefs and values underneath people. And I heard you saying, if they're more novice, a belief or value I might have is I need to support them, I need to help them, I need to help them be their best. If they're more expert, I can rely on them to help me more. So it seems that when you have a less expert team in your view, you might use declarations a bit more while offering some you know, sort of socio-emotional attaboys and support, <laughs> but it might be more of a conversation with your more advanced folks. Yes, that's right. Yes. So if you could help us take the next step, how does that connect to the emotional aspects of recess linguistics or what were the takeaways in the workshop for you and others in your view? 
So I think people mostly as they as they shared around the room, and I shared in this too, thinking about the ways in which we really devote ourselves to learning our teams better and then being mindful of what language we use with them is really critical to even those times when we're under high stress and needing to care for patients. One of the takeaways that was shared by a number of people, not just me, was how important people's names are to know and and how that actually builds a lot more relationship potential before even the resuscitation and then how valuable it can be during the resuscitation if you're just trying to connect people and make them feel like they are really powerful members of the team. And so, yeah, so that kind of a thing. Possibly blending the two themes that we've talked about. So there's possibility for cognitive or simple definitional mismatches, like one person's cry kit is somebody else's something else. Uh, One person's give fluids might mean something to somebody else. You're also saying there might be some differences in how we interact, how much we converse based on the skill level of different people in the team. Mm -hmm. Putting that together practically for people listening to this who might be a team leader themselves, Mm -hmm. what two or three things could they consider as they communicate, uh, either as team leaders or as followers? So the workshop really went to, to uncover a lot of different avenues and a lot of, as you say, flowers were blooming and lots of takeaways were had. So I guess one of the things that really struck me was that, you know, when we sit there and have our have our views of the of the world and we have our assumptions locked in our heads and we feel very strongly about things and maybe about the people we work with we need to really work hard to go into the sense making territory rather than just the stance taking territory and so really trying to bridge understanding where other people are coming from and draw out that explicit communication better also while tempering our own assumptions or thinking critically of them, recognizing that they can really impact the way people talk with us as well. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, That was you reflecting on your experience learning from Carrie White and Vic Brazel in a session at Resus TO called Resus Linguistics.